Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. Colossians 1, 13 to 17. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the book of Colossians is a parallel book to the book of Ephesians. And here in Colossians, Paul describes salvation and he links it with creation and he'll do this in several places he does it in Romans he does it in Ephesians but notice in the passage we have redemption and then he says that Jesus then is the firstborn of all creation here is the purpose of creation here is you know the why of creation and the how of creation and this creation seems to culminate in who Christ is and the redemption of who Christ is. And so creation seems to be an ongoing activity in and through redemption. All things were created, it says, in heaven and earth. They were created through him and for him and the redemption, the transfer to the kingdom of the Son, is tied, I think, into this creation activity. In Romans, Paul specifically links creation ex nihilo, just meaning creation from nothing. It is linked with redemption. God gives life, he says, to the dead, redemption, and calls into being that which does not exist, creation. That is, that it's on a continuum. Being given resurrection life is on the order of creation from nothing. It is as if our own life, in our own life, we can glimpse the nothing, the ex nihilo, from out of which creation came and which we are coming. And the opposite of creation, the opposite of salvation, is this darkness that he names. He'll talk about a loss of life. He'll talk about even a kind of living death. And then creation, though, is brought to fullness. That is, we go from nothing to a complete fullness in Christ. In Ephesians 3, 17 to 19, it says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. 
we think of creation out of nothing, a complete emptiness, and then the fullness of creation being filled up. One is brought to fullness and completion in Christ. The opposite is the possibility of falling back into darkness, into futility, into nothingness. Uh, the, the Christian nothing here, you know, the creation ex nihilo, it's not like the Buddhist nothingness, a kind of dialectical necessity. Uh, the ex nihilo, or nothing, it's not an empty space, you know, as if it's actually something into which God inserted creation. Christian nothing, or the ex nihilo, it's really nothing. It's not something. And it's not something that precedes, it's not something that grounds, it doesn't serve as a point of expansion. Rather the Christian nothing from out of which God called creation, it bears no quality and does not show itself other than through dissolution, absence, death. The nothing, that is, takes on a dynamic, but not its own dynamic, it's a dynamic of destruction. What I'm saying here is that creation ex nihilo opens the possibility of evil as the return to the nothing from out of which creation arose. That's what's really being described, right? There is creation from nothing and then a fullness. And I think to picture creation as anything less than having an infinite destiny, you know, the fullness of participation in Christ, makes of creation a dynamic of nothingness. It says that he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Existence as something less than union, you know, this, that is being described with the divine, I think it involves turning creation over to the ex nihilo, over to the nothing. And creation without this final cause, without this purpose, Maybe this is just evil. I think this is evil when it sinks back into the oblivion from which it arose. And that is that creation is dominated not by God, but by nothing. And I'm trying to name the evil. I'm trying to describe the sin that creation, especially of the human and rational kind, we are continually called forth from the beginning into a kind of exultant praise. And this is there and actually it first appears in Isaiah 45:23, And it will be repeated in Ephesians in several places in the New Testament. That to me every knee will bow. Every tongue will swear allegiance. Every tongue will confess. As it says in Ephesians 1, 9 to 10. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times. This is where time is going. This is where creation is going. The summing up of all things in Christ. Things in heaven and things on the earth. And so Christ is becoming all in all. God in Christ is becoming all in all. The eternal act of being God includes his being God within creation. He's becoming Lord in our lives. He's becoming Lord in what he's created. 
And that is then the purpose. In creation's completion then, it fully and forever sheds itself of the remnants of the possibility of the ex nihilo, of the nothingness from which it arose. And he is all in all. And so what is happening cosmically is unfolding certainly in the human realm. This is Ephesians 3, 14 to 19. This is echoing the passage in Isaiah. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man. I bow, and all of the nations of the earth bow. We're being strengthened in the inner man with power, his spirit. You know, is that the, I think it's the capital S spirit. God is either strengthening, he's giving life, renewing life, or there is the possibility that we block him from this renewal in and through sin, in and through evil. And the play and possibility of the nothing, the possibility of evil, I think it's understood, this is the way Paul will describe it in Romans, that there is a kind of dynamic with death that is taken care of in salvation. Romans 6, 5 to 6, for if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. That is, death is gotten rid of. Resurrection is now a permanent estate. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. You know, what is this body of sin? Is it the physical body? I don't think so. It is this kind of I or body of sin it's crucified with Christ when we become a Christian. It's subject to being undone. And there is a dynamic, obviously, that is taken up in sin with human, you know, uh, that is undone in Christ. The kind that Paul will describe it as he uses the, trans, the word I, which is just the word ego in Greek. He talks about the law and what Paul calls the body of death all of which is undone. This is his depiction of what happens in baptism in 6, 1 to 6. But on the other hand, Paul demonstrates how this nothingness, the deception of sin, can play a central and competing role in our life. And in this perverted life, Paul says, we imagine that we do evil to establish the good. He'll say, several, he has several formulas here for sin. Shall I sin that grace may abound? Shall I transgress the law that I would establish the law? That is, we imagine that sin is necessary, that evil is necessary. And there are actually some forms of Christianity that all, they acknowledge this theologically. It is imagined, oh, God needs evil, that God is the perpetrator of evil to make better souls to test his creation, to accomplish his purposes. And so the, the theological import of this is that evil, you know, in this misunderstood 
theology is a part of the good, a necessary part of the good. And there's a kind of gap in reality, nothingness, sin, death, and evil. They're not really overcome. I think a lot of Christianity really doesn't have the idea that Christ has defeated sin, death, and evil. That's what it's about. And we've lost that understanding. And so evil is not finally and fully subject to the good. But the good arises from and is ultimately subject to the evil in this misunderstanding. And the fall is at the origin. You know, we need the fall. And I'm talking about many brands of Christianity here, but particularly a Calvinist understanding. So that transgression, sin, and evil precede the very possibility of the good. That is, you need the fall so you can have salvation. What I've just described is not that at all, right? Sin is not necessary for salvation, but we said no, creation from its very beginning, its purposes are fulfilled in Christ. Sin is a blip on the radar that is certainly taken care of. And so in this misunderstood idea, it's almost like we need nothing so we can have something. We need evil so as to have the good. And ultimately, death or nothingness is kind of the reality over which, maybe we should call it the unreality, over which the thought, you know, the subject, the human subject, is thought to uh, be constructed. I, we were discussing psychology in Sunday school, and I'll, I'll just throw this out, that this is actually a psychological understanding in some forms of psychology, that you need the lie, that there is a kind of dialectic in which a, a kind of unreality is necessary. And certainly that's there in Paul. Paul describes sin as entry into a deception. The lie has displaced life in Christ. And this is, you know, where does this lie come from? Well, it's a lie we tell ourselves. We tell the lie, we believe the lie, which if you would try to explain to an alien from outer space that this is the case, you know, I said, well, I don't understand, but we all know we can do that. We can lie to ourselves. And there is the sense then that we are responsible also for our own creation. I know this sounds funny. That we can name the nothingness which clings to us. That is, we can understand, oh, this creation ex nihilo, this is actually kind of taking place in our lives. And the danger is that a Christianity that sees creation as subsumed or in some way returning to nothing. You know, where is creation going? Well, the picture, it's going to this kind of full participation in who God is. And anything less to that, I'm afraid, gives ontological priority to the ex nihilo, to the nothingness. And so where reality is not fully and finally grounded in the divine, I think that's what Colossians and Ephesians are describing. It's not clear that any finite creature actually exists. You know, what does it mean to exist? Well, existence is participation in who God is. And so especially in the case of people, of rational creatures, spiritual creatures, this rationality, how can this spirituality be fully that apart from having its final end in Christ, in the reality of God? The fully spiritual and rational creature then 
can be said to continue the most direct role of being co-creator. Remember back in Genesis, it's called, you know, you will have dominion over creation. The dominion mandate. That you are a kind of a co-participant in creation. I think that in Christ that is taken up again. That once again in our own creation. Isn't that what's happening in Christ? That we're being completed. We're being fulfilled. David Bentley Hart says we can think of the fall as continually threatening. It happened or rather is happening. Only as the lingering resistance of nothingness to that final joyous confession. For no creature can exist as spirit in God except under the condition of having arisen from nothingness in order to grow into his or her last end. That passage from nothingness into the infinite which is always a free intentionality toward a final cause, is the very structure of created spiritual beings. They could not be spirit otherwise. So this is the defeat, the undoing of that I, you know, in Paul, that Paul talks about, I have been crucified. I think it's the defeat of the psychoanalytic I. There is a relinquishing or a willing deconstruction of this kind of false subject, the ego, that I that would posit itself through itself. You know, this is Freud's Oedipus complex. We would all be our own father. It's the Cartesian cogito, I think, therefore I am. That is that my thought gives rise to my being. I think it's Paul's I, you know, that I, I do what I don't want to do, and what I don't uh, want to do, I do. I think that there is an end then to the deception in our lives. It is the free and willing abandonment of this project of the self, of this lie, the project of the fall, that I guess is just engaged by every human being. And we engage then in the full ascent to the eternal end. The creation, the completion, you know, that's what's being described. He is the creator. He is through all and in all, and we're bringing that about in our lives. Maybe a, a different, to summarize this and say it in a different way, is to recognize that between the play of life and death within each of us, it's really described in the Bible in terms of, you know, life and spirit. And the spirit, of course, that is breathed into Adam in Genesis was the, the life of God. And there's a kind of ambiguity, and I think that there is a purposeful ambiguity, even in the New Testament, uh, purposefully taken up. You know, this is Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers. He describes the necessity of the spirit of God for life. It's not a force apart from man, but it's part of God's handiwork. But when the spirit, he says, here blended with the soul, is united to God's handiwork, the man is rendered spiritual and perfect because of the outpouring of the spirit. And this is who he was made in the image and likeness of God. Where is the life coming from? Where is the spirit coming from? Well, it's the spirit of God. 
That is, the Genesis account is only completed in and through active participation of God in giving us the Holy Spirit. God breathed the Spirit into man in the beginning, and only by this continued inbreathing, I think that's what we have in Christ, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the body, the soul, and the spirit. And I think the spirit is both the capital S spirit and the small s spirit. They constitute the image of God in which we are created. And Irenaeus, who I think is just following Paul, uses spirit. Sometimes it refers to God's spirit. It refers to man's spirit simultaneously. And it portrays then the perfection of a kind of full co-participation between the divine and the human. While also we can diminish this participation. This is Irenaeus. One of these does indeed preserve and fashion the man. This is the spirit. While as to another it is united and formed, that is the flesh. Then comes that which is between these two, that is the soul, which sometimes indeed when it follows the spirit is raised by it, but sometimes it sympathizes with the flesh and falls into carnal lusts. We can fail to have life. The spirit, he says, preserves and fashions the man so that there is no human apart from the spirit. The spirit is not something added to man, Our participation in God is not an extra added on. And yet there is the possibility in following the lust of the flesh. That life, the spirit, is diminished. And so Hart depicts how the beginning and end calls for our willing free participation. This is the ultimate reason, he says, that the first moment of the creature's being is at once a vocation issued by God and yet also an act of free self-positing on the part of the creature. Just as the Holy Spirit is not some limited psychological individual consciousness possessed of an isolated self who is first himself and who then only laterally assents to the Father's self-utterance in the Logos. He's saying, oh no, we're not ourselves apart from God. You're not not who you were created to be apart from God, apart from union with God. So also the Spirit in us is nothing but this finite participation in that eternal and infinite act of divine affirmation and love. Here is the way we love God. Here is the way we love neighbor. The spiritual creature exists as always in its origin and its end. This is why we were created. For love, wholly surrendered to God. And the chiasmus of the spirit in us, in our creation and deification, it is always the spirit rejoicing in the love of the Father and Son. That is, the relationship between the Father and the Son is repleted in the children of God. The inmost reality of the Spirit in each of us, that is, is nothing but that act of joyous accord and ecstatic assent unto God. So every creaturely spirit 
There is the sense that we freely will our own existence, but this freedom is not a freedom exercised apart from God. The eternal yes of God to the creature is always already the creature's eternal yes to its creator. The latter exists only within the eternal yes of the Father to his own image in the Son. We see that image. We see what we were meant to be in the Son, in the delight of the Spirit, of the Father's delight in the Son. And this is the Son's yes to the will of the Father. And this is our yes to the will of the Father. This is the Spirit's eternal yes to the Father's full expression in the Son. What I'm describing is a participation in who God is as Trinity. And so there is a possible yes and no to the unfolding creation and completion of who we are in, in Christ. The possibility of the ex nihilo, of returning from the nothing from out of which we are created. But for Paul, the subject actually precedes, who we are precedes, it exceeds this possibility of death and the constraints of the I. So there's not only the possibility, I think there's actually the necessity. That is, creation's completion in Christ is a necessary part of the goodness of God. The subject totally free from sin. You know, I think that's a question in many forms of theology. Oh, can we ever be free from sin? Absolutely. That's what we're describing, is this fullness in, in, of being in Christ. Being free from the fall back into nothingness. And so a Christianity which does not acknowledge the end of creation in Christ, the end of creation in participation in the divine, I think it takes on the look of atheism in which subjectivity requires death. It requires sin. It requires nothingness. And some, sometimes I think maybe atheism is a moral step above a form of Christianity that derogates God to the death and nothingness of it, as if that's supreme. Let me close then with a reading from two passages. Passage on down in Colossians. This is 3, 9 to 11. Paul says, do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. This gets very practical. Okay, you want to exist in who Christ is? Don't lie. He says, you've put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal, a recreation in which there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. He's just named everybody, right? But Christ is all and in all. And then in Ephesians, Paul appeals to the same vision. I think they're all appealing to this vision in Isaiah, in which all of creation, every knee shall bow, bowing to the Christ and the love of Christ so that the em emptiness is displaced by a fullness. Creation is being filled up with the love of God. Ephesians 3, 11 to 19. Therefore I ask you not to lose heart at my 
tribulations on your behalf for they are your glory for this reason I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height, what is the depth, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. There is the completion of creation. There is no return to the ex Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares, or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.